Hey friend, thanks for listening to the Fixate Phoenix podcast. We are praying that you are blessed by this week's message. If you would like to partner with the future of Fixate, you can visit fixatephx.com slash give. I'm kind of trimming everything back for hyper growth. And it's funny because I think a lot of the times when God comes to prune our lives, we think he just walks up and just starts cutting things. But in watching my dad this week, he would sit back and every, every part of the rose bush that he was pruning, he would look and assess. And it wasn't just this cut, 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 cut. It was oh, that one. That one. This one. There was a meticulousness, a sensitivity, and an awareness to what he was trying to produce. And I believe a lot of the times in the church, what we think God pruning in our life is, is just this. And we're mad, like, God, why are you cutting this off? Why am I going through pain? Why is this thing happening to me? Why? And God's looking, and we don't see him looking back and, and assessing the whole of who we are and inviting us to greater fruit by removal of the things that don't produce it. And I think a lot of the times for for some of us, we're almost looking and we're saying, God, I wish I was producing more fruit. And God's like, I wish you were open to more pruning. Because in all honesty, this is the greatest hindrance to growth is your adverse reaction to anything that's difficult in faith. And we're going to talk all about this today, but I want to continue reading that passage because it sets the entire framework for everything we're doing today. It says this. Verse 3, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vines, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in, it, and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch that dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned and destroyed. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask what you wish and it will be done unto you. You know, I think we love that last part. God, I'd love to have a relationship where I ask what I want and it'll be done unto me. But do we have the posture of, okay, God, but you have room to remove. You have room to prune. Here's a good one. You have room to say no. When it doesn't make sense, when I don't understand, you have room to take over control and not have me question, but have me be obedient. You know, a great example of this, I'll never forget it, because um, it's funny now looking back on, on kind of my, my years where, where I was, but one of the things that, that happened over the last few years is I was, before COVID at least, was I was getting invited more and more to speak at different places, and one of those places was uh, my buddy had called me and was like, hey, I'm preaching at this, or I'm speaking for a week at this, um, at this place in Glacier National Park, Montana. And he's like, if you want, they'll fly you out. We'll put you, everything's free, and then you'll get, you'll, you'll get a little bit paid, and then we'll just, we'll preach for three or four days, and then all we'll do is go to the park. Now, at that time, like I said, I've been getting invited to do different things, and it was awesome. And it's one of those things when I was younger in uh, ministry that I was like, man, every time I'd get invited, it was like, yes, I am now that guy, right? Which is funny, because now it's like backwards. If I get invited anywhere now, I'm like, I like Phoenix a little too much. (laughs) 
It's like, I like my routine. I love my bed. I love my spots and I love my church. So I don't need to leave. No. Um, but what's funny is, is I remember this particular trip. I went to my, my, my dad, who was the pastor, and I looked at him and I said, hey, I just got invited to this super sick trip. I said, it's all paid for. Literally, I'm just going to preach for a few days with my buddy. And then all we're going to do is just camp out in Glacier National Park. It's all free. I'm, going to get, I'm actually going to get paid, too. It's going to be awesome. And I just went in with just this assumption. And my dad said, looked at me and he said, no, you're not going to go on that. And I remember looking at him like, hold on. Like, it's like, is he talking to somebody else in the room? And I remember looking at him. And then what's interesting is then I rolled into, well, because at that time I was overseeing different departments. I said, well, I mean, as far as this is concerned, I mean, the church is going to function fine. I got these people in this area. I got these roles handled. I got, yeah, I know, but I, no, you're not going to go. And I was like, well, but, but, and I remember keeping on pushing back. And I remember in one moment I took a step back and I realized, I said, okay, there's something else going on here. And I just looked at him. I said, okay. And I didn't go on that trip. But what's funny is, and, and years later, we, we talked about it because as I was getting more and more invited to do things, my, my dad and pastor at the time wanted to make sure my heart was in the right place because I could have easily bucked and chewed up and flared up. But he wanted to make sure that, that my heart was still in where I was at and not just going everywhere else and forgetting about what I was called to do. And see, for some of us, we would look at that story and be like, yeah, but that still doesn't make sense. But that's the art of pruning. Is because a lot of the times pruning is when it makes complete sense to you and something happens contrary to it. And what I mean by that is I, in that, I had all my roles covered. It was completely paid for. I had vacation time if I needed to go that route through HR. I had it. No. Okay, I'll submit to that. Now, when people... When you get around people who give you direction, you advice, or you have a situation and circumstance that happens that's a no, when you were full throttled, yes, it's a great opportunity for pruning. Because in my opinion, what's happening today is we're fighting a war first with lordship, not of Christ on the throne of your life, but you on the throne of it. And so what the first pruning element is this, is God is going to say, I am going to remove, right? If we profess lordship, but we are the lords of ourselves, I am going to prune that out. And then once we start kind of getting through that where God has lordship, then it starts almost attacking the areas in which where we say he has lordship, but he really doesn't. And typically those are the hard and painful ones. And then after you progress through kind of those two levels, there's another level in which it's the subliminal stuff that you just reactionarily do that you didn't realize is contrary to fruit production. And so what I want to do is challenge your mentality of how well you drink the prune juice. Because as sad as it is today, I think a lot of us say, I want to grow in God, but very few of us will raise our hand and say, and I want to be pruned by him. So what I want to do is I want to share a story. And this story is, in all honesty, when I grasped this story, it became one of my favorite sermons. And I've kind of been saving it, but it's the story of Philemon. We're going to go through the entire book in four hours today. But it's the story of Philemon because, in my opinion, this story has so many layers and elements to it that for all of our, like, Western Americanized way of thinking, we would just be like, oh, heck no. 
like Paul, like that is way over the line. So what I want to do is I want to read, and what we're going to find out is there's two, what's going on in this letter is Paul is writing to, a letter to Philemon, and it's about a guy by the, that they both know by the name of Onesimus. And so what I want to do is I want to read, it says this, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved brother and fellow worker. Verse 3, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always, making mention of you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of your faith, which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. For I have come to much joy and comfort in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed, brother. Verse 8, therefore, okay, now what's funny is, is when I first read this, I didn't, I missed this part, but this is like the classic sandwich. What I mean by that is the first seven verses are like, man, you guys are the best Christians. I mean, your love is so refreshing. You guys are perfect people, pretty much, reincarnated of God. Your church, the best church I've ever been to. You guys are the most beautiful. Personally, I think you all should be, I'm ad-libbing, obviously, but this is what's happening. First seven verses, Paul's just like, you guys are just killing it. Therefore, it's like when you, when you hear that, you're like, okay, what's the ask here? Because it's like, we did seven verses of compliments. This is going to be a huge ask. Let's read. Therefore, though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper. How many of you guys know if I came up to you, was complimenting you, And then looked at you and said, because I know you're this, I have enough confidence in Christ to tell you what to do. Man, in this day and age, it's like, okay, I'm out. Let's keep reading. Yet for love's sake, I rather appeal to you since I am such a person as Paul, the aged and now prisoner of Christ. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment. Notice that, right? John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's a, this is a reference almost to that like. Just re- Where else are you seeing begotten in the New Testament? As God began, begot Jesus, Paul's like, oh, I've begotten Onesimus. Now this is where it starts to get sticky. I appeal to you, verse 10, for my child Onesimus, who I've begotten in my prison, who was formerly useless to you. Hold on. Wait, Paul, so you have, be, have you begotten him or is he still useless? Now, what you have to realize is literally they know this name, Onsimus. So when Paul first mentions, hey, I have this guy, and he writes out Onsimus, everybody in that home church is perking up like, and they're probably all looking at Philemon like, dude, Paul's talking about Onsimus. Now you'll start to see why here in a second. He was formerly useless to you, but is now useful both to you and me. I've sent him back to you in person. I love this one. He's like, hey, and, and some scholars believe that Onsimus is literally carrying this letter. It's like this guy who has been useless, written off, and we're going to see why here in a second, and is not in good rapport with the people, shows up with a letter from Paul and just is smiling. And it keeps keep going. That is sending my very heart, verse 13, who I wish to keep with me 
so that on your behalf he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. Paul's like, this guy is so important to me that he ministers to me. Verse 14, but without your consent, I did not want to do anything. It's like, if I'm Philemon, I'm like, it sounds like you've already given yourself full consent here, Paul. It's like, you're writing me a letter, you're sending me this guy, and we're going to find out why here in a second, because this puts it all together. But without your consent, I did not want to do anything, so that your goodness, goodness would not be in effect by compulsion, but of your own free will. For perhaps he was... He was for this reason separated from you for a while that you would have him back forever. So, right, we have this, okay, he was useless. Then he was separated. We're going to keep adding here until you get the full picture. Verse 16, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord? If then you regard me as a, pa- as a partner, accept me as you would, uh, accept him as you would me. And if he has wronged you in any way and owes you something, charge it to my account. This is all something that as you start to dissect the passage, what we see is Onesimus was a runaway slave. Not, as, not only is he a runaway slave, but he's a runaway slave who stole from his owners. Paul converts him, writes a letter because he loves him so much, sends him back to Philemon. And in that day, in that time, this is, this is grounds for a death penalty. Sends him back with a letter and says, hey, I know he was your slave, but now he's your brother. I know he stole from you, but don't worry, I'll, I'll pay you back if I ever make it back there. He doesn't. Accept him as you would be. Now, this is the statement that I just literally is unbelievable to me. Verse 19, I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it. Verse 20, yes, brother, let me benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart. Having confidence in your obedience, I write you since I know you will do even more than what I have told you to do. So not, he literally goes, oh, I want you to have free will in choosing this. Oh, I want you to make sure that you've done this out of, out of good rapport. Oh, I want you to love him and accept him as a brother. Oh, and I know you're going to do this, and I know you're going to even do more than this. How many of you guys know? This would be a letter that would be difficult to swallow. Obviously, a, di- a different day and different time in which we know slavery is an in- incredible sin in, in the context of our nation's history. But even... In this context, it's one of those things where it's just baffling to, to look at Paul and really to look at him and be like, man, you've got, you've got some gumption. A runaway slave who steals from his master that then you convert and disciple, but you don't keep him with you. You send him back to the people that he ran away from and he stole from. You have him carry a letter, and if you knew anything about the Paulian letters, literally they would be read in front of the church. It wasn't just this like, oh, let's read it to these two people. If people knew there was a letter coming from Paul, these letters weren't overnight express. Typically they were a messenger who would travel months and months to get to a destination, and then the whole church would be buzzing. Paul wrote us a letter. Paul wrote us a letter. And what would happen? This letter's read. If I'm Philemon, I'm like, you know, Paul, I could punch you in the face casually. (laughs) The slave that ran away. And before he ran away, remember what he says in the, he was useless. Then he ran away. Then he stole. And now he's your brother. This is a pruning message if you think about it. Because not only does Paul say, oh, you know, you should forgive him. 
kept him. Paul literally ends the letter by saying, and actually even more than this you should do on behalf of him. It's a tough message to take in. Am I right? How well do you handle tough messages? How well do you handle the pruning aspect of spiritual life? And by pruning, I pray that we all have friends around us who will tell us the truth. And if you don't, you need to find some. I pray that we have consistent community in which we're confronted with biblical truth, in which we have to assess the inventory of our hearts. I pray that we put ourselves in environments where pruning isn't just this concept that's read about and talked about once a year, but we are constantly submitted to God. May you subtract in order to add. Because I want to be somebody who's known by their fruit that remains. And in this passage of scripture, what we're seeing is, is that is by uh, submitting to the vine dresser and trusting that the things he cuts off were supposed to be cut off. And so what I wanted to do is I wanted to challenge all of us. And, and before I do, I'm going to talk about just three quick things in closing. But the names of these are so interesting to me. Because Philemon's name meaning, his name actually means affection or kiss, right? So, so I love the imagery of it because Paul's writing this letter to like the affectionate kiss. And he's essentially saying like, hey, now it's time to practice that affectionate kiss. Because like you, you're going to have to practice some grace. You're going to have to practice some forgiveness. You're going to have to practice not being bitter. You're going to think about it. If somebody ran from you and stole from you and showed up at the church and they looked and said, hey, just so you know, now he's a brother and a leader. Now he's the one ministering to Paul in his imprisonment. I'm not going to lie. I'd be looking for another church. No, he should be repenting. No, he should be repaying me back. No, he deserves. No, you'll accept. And actually, not only that, you'll accept, and even more than I've asked, you'll do. Think about that. That's pruning. It's when our minds have been made up in terms of what the recourse should be for others' actions, God says, no, be pruned. Now, what's more fascinating, and and in my opinion, is not talked about near enough, is Onsimus' name meaning. His name meant one who is useful. And one who is valuable. Think about this. When Paul wrote this and said, hey, Antimus can be valuable to you. He's essentially reinforcing his name and his purpose. He's reinforcing the fact that, listen, this man was created with value and purpose. And at some points he didn't have that value and purpose in the ways that we thought. But I promise you this. He has it now. And I believe for some of us, right, we've maybe even went through seasons where we felt like we had value and purpose and other seasons where we felt like we didn't have value and purpose. And our God is a God who keeps sending us out saying, no, you've got it again. And I'll vouch for you. You've got it again. And I'm with you. My spirit's with you. You've got it again. You have value and you have purpose. No matter how many people have written you off, no matter how many people have been bitter with you, no matter how many people have been unforgiven or you haven't pursued unforgiveness or you've never had that reconciliation, whatever that is, I'm telling you, value and purpose. In this particular instance, I think is, is interesting. Value and purpose is found in the one who sent him. Think about this. If Onsimus showed up, Without the authority of Paul, there probably would have been a different response. 
And I want to say this to you. I think a lot of the times we want value and purpose and we're not carrying the identity of the one who sent. And I feel like what God is saying today is stop being sent without the letter. Without the disposition of me. Without the authority that I carry behind you. Because I am the one who breathes value into who you are. Now what I want to do, like I said... Oh, somebody's banging out there. (laughs) How do we drink the prune juice when it's not fair, doesn't make sense, doesn't add up, is against everything you feel? How well can you take it down? And what I want to do in closing, like I said, is is talk about how to up the production and embrace the prune. How do we up the production and embrace the prune? The first one is this. Wounded sons and daughters make bitter mothers and fathers fight for your healing. This may may be counseling, a tough conversation, repentance, sacrifice of your image, owning up to something you don't want to own up to. But I'm telling you this, if you don't fight for it, then it will beat you into nothing. This last week we were in California, like I said, with my parents, and we were there with a pastor couple, and it was fascinating because the pastor's, the pastor's wife, Eileen, incredible woman of God, was talking about her family of origin. She had a ton of brothers and sisters, and her dad was an alcoholic. And she said as she looks back on her life, she had a moment of repentance and forgiveness toward her father, and about half of her family did, and the other half didn't. And she says, you can, every person in her family who is doing well, not just in faith, but just in life and vitality, every single one of them forgave their dad. Not one who are, who have forgiveness and bitterness have a good life currently is what she said. And I was thinking about this point because it's so fascinating to me how hard it is for us to fight for our healing. It's way easier to stuff it down, not acknowledge it. Really act like it doesn't exist. And in some instances, I would even push that it's, it almost is more painful to fight for the healing than to actually get the healing. But I want to say this. I'm not going to be a bitter father. And I'm not going to have, we're not going to be a house that has bitter fathers and bitter mothers. The number one aspect of the church that drew people to it wasn't their their talents or their abilities, but they were known by their love. Wounded sons and daughters make bitter mothers and fathers fight for your healing. The second one, we were born again, not born against. Fight for peace. I think a lot of us, if, if we were to assess our lives, right, if you're picking sides, you're running from shears. Typically, the side you're against is the side that can even you out the best. And I'm going to tell you this, in my life, the people that I've ran from the most, the people who turn me off the most, the people who I have nothing in common with, they get me to think the most. They get me to assess the most. They get me to process the most. See, Philemon's letter I find fascinating because Paul writes it, and I guarantee he's mad at Paul, but he's more dealing with the internal trauma of what am I going to do now with Onesimus and this conflict? He was on that side. I was on this side. I'm being called to come together from those sides. Will I do it? It's a question all of us must answer at some point in our life. Is when you feel like you're on one side and somebody's on the other. Are you going to practice being born again? 
which is reconciliation. Literally born again, Christ's sacrifice was to reconcile man to God. If you think that you can live born again without reconciliation in your DNA, I promise you won't live born again long. I challenge all of us to assess if we've been born again or we just profess what we're born against. The last thing is this. The cross comes before the crown. Fight against unmet expectation. This one, I believe, in followers of Christ is the most, whether we want to acknowledge it or not, the most detrimental to faith in our day. When our expectations have not been met, how do we respond? I was challenged to read to all of us how all of the disciples' lives ended up going. Andrew, the brother of Peter, was martyred by crucifixion. He was bound, not nailed to an X-shaped cross, hung alive for two days, but exhorting spectators to turn to Jesus. Bartholomew was martyred by being skinned alive and then crucified head downward. James the Greater, who was a son of Zebedee, brother of John, was beheaded or stabbed with a sword, we don't know, by Herod Agrippa. James the Lesser was the first bishop of Jerusalem, martyred in, his er- in the early 90s by being thrown from the pinnacle of the temple, then stoned and his head bashed in with a club. John, the beloved son of Zebedee, had a natural death, but not before he was boiled in oil, hoping that that would kill him, and then exiled to the island of Patmos. Jude, who wrote the book of Jude, martyred by being beaten with a club, then crucified. Judas Iscariot, we already know, but Matthew, who, Levi, martyred about 60 A.D. by being staked and speared into the ground. Simon Peter, martyred by crucifixion. Philip, said to have been tortured, impaled by iron hooks in his ankles, and hung upside down to die. Simon, the Canaanite, martyred by crucifixion in Britain. Thomas, this one has special meaning to me was martyred by being thrust through a spear in India. I've been to the place that he was literally, he was chased. And you can stand on a hill. They have a memorial of him where you stand. And there's a tour guide who will point with his finger where Thomas was running for his life before they got to him and killed him with a spear. And on top of this hill, you look. And he goes, this is, he looped through these streets, running. Then when caught, was killed. Why do I tell you those? Because if all those disciples had expectations of grander pastures, bigger bank accounts, extremely healthy lives, perfect marriages, and even more perfect children, how long do you think they would have followed God? But look at how their lives ended. But if you were to ask them, would you have wanted to go any other way? I believe they would have said no. And I want to challenge you right now because I think that a lot of us, what we want is we want, to, we want Christ without the cross. We want salvation without the crucifixion of flesh. We want a Savior with very lukewarm salvation. And I'm going to tell you this, if you're coming in with these high expectations, but living in that theological reality, you're, you, this just isn't for you. But I've said it a thousand times, and you'll hear me say it a lot more. We can't promise that it'll be easy. But just like these guys, we can promise it'll be worth it. Let's stand to our feet.
I want to read this prayer quickly over us. you've been here before, you know that this is just a time of reflection in which we take the word and we pack it into a prayer and then I just pray it over all of us. So whatever that, that ability to receive is, whether that's open hands or open heart, I just pray that you would receive this prayer of this message. Father, today... Help us to understand the role of you as the one who prunes in our life. Oh God, we want more fruit. Would you remove the dead branches? May we not turn away from the delicate hands of the vine dresser as he tenderly cares for the branches of our existence. May we not question the method of subtraction, trusting that you're doing it with addition in mind. We choose healing over bitterness, and we'll fight for it. We choose being born again instead of born against, living as agents of reconciliation. And we protect our hearts against unmet expectation, knowing it is you who is in control, and our existence is but a breath. Oh God, would you reframe us to embrace difficult, seek growth amidst disappointment and pain, and not look for the easy way out. Jesus, we follow the example of you and also the cross that you carried. The disciples you raised up who then sacrificed their lives for the furtherment of the gospel. May it always be said of this house, we didn't just pay the sacrifice, but we were the living sacrifices. In Jesus' name.